today on Ag News Daily. At this point, honestly, I'm concerned we may not even get our get our uh, Milo crop in. I know we will, but it's just one of those things. We may just have got all our rain this past five weeks, and that might be it. But listeners, June eighth, two thousand twenty-three. Today's episode is brought to you by Vestron, your game changer and revolutionary insecticide. Visit V-E-S-T-A-R-O-N dot com today. Delaney, where are you at? I am just southwest of Amsterdam in a little farming community called Odovater. Well, I would say if our listeners do anything, they should be living vicariously through all the travels and trips that you take. That's true. I'm uh, visiting a farmer who is a dairy farmer. Her and her husband were both Nuffield Scholars. And my friend Judith is just finishing up her Nuffield Scholar program. So I'm here this week helping them get the farm ready for a big Nuffield end of the year celebration tomorrow. But they have a, about 120 cow dairy operation here in the Netherlands. And Tanner, things are done very much differently here, not necessarily by choice. Yeah, I think uh, our listeners are not surprised due to the regulation and oversight, especially that in your neck of the woods where you're hanging out right now. But listeners, as we come back stateside, we still have air quality alerts that have been issued for the entire state of Indiana, several other states, including Michigan, Ohio. And now we're looking at New York and New Hampshire as well higher than normal ozone levels are expected today in those states and states to the east active children and adults with respiratory disease such as asthma should limit their outdoor exposure in the southern plains we still have some thunderstorm chances that are looking to rumble through the area that might turn into some severe areas or some severe storms flash flood warnings are continuing to be issued for the texas panhandle and several Other weather pop-ups may hit areas of the Midwest Saturday through Sunday. So it's quite interesting to see where the weather is headed. But Delaney, the smoke from the Canadian wildfires are filling the skies. There's lots of pictures going through the news uh, of some major cities looking smog-ridden. Residents from New England to as far as Texas have seen and smelled the smoke from nearly 150 different wildfires in Quebec. We're now trying to feel what the impact is going to be on corn and soybeans. The smoke is lowering the temperature in some of these regions and is now producing a concern of having fewer growing degree units because of the reduced solar radiation. Sunlight's obviously critical for corn to maximize its photosynthesis and boost its crop yield potential. But among The potential effects on the crop from the smoke, three primary factors uh, are going to cause the issue, and it's all related to photosynthesis. It's the reduced light intensity, it's the increased sunlight diffusion, and the increase in ozone three levels. So corn in particular is susceptible to having an issue, but soybeans shouldn't have a problem. We're looking to continue to monitor some of these storms because rain can help clear up some of these issues. So it'll be interesting to continue to follow and see if that ends up having any yield impacts, Delaney. Yeah, and I saw that news as well. So I'm glad you shared that headline. I've seen some videos. Some of them are making fun of the situation a little bit, but big cities 
New York, Chicago, et cetera, I've seen folks sharing videos of what it looks like in the cities. And I'd say it's definitely a little worse in the cities than it has been in the countryside, just from what I've seen in photos and videos. Yeah, one would assume that was the uh, air particulate level to begin with added on top of, uh, because yes, and, and not to poke fun at China, but uh, makes me imagine what you think of when you see some of the pictures of the Chinese smog in some of their larger cities now just due to a combined factor here in the U.S. Absolutely. But Tanner, we've got the World Pork Expo going on this week for our pork producers and pork industry folks going on in Des Moines, Iowa at the Iowa State Fairgrounds for the 35th World Pork Expo. We are going to see a lot of news headlines coming out of the World Pork Expo later this week as it kicks off. But Tanner, one issue they're going to be spending a lot of time on, it sounds like, is Prop 12. And there's quite a few different sessions that are going to be around that topic, I should say. But it's also going to be a time for folks to network in the pork industry and spend some time seeing what else new is coming on the pipeline. Tanner, will you be at the World Pork Expo? There's a chance uh, I could make it there. I've got a couple of busy days here uh, at the bank, but I know quite a few customers uh, that we've been handing tickets out to, making sure that they're able to get down there. Well, if you make it down there, you'll have to let our listeners know how it go how it's going. I always like going because of the yummy foods that they have. Like they always come <laughs> up with new ways to use pork products in foods. And that's kind of my favorite part. I'm not going to lie. As well as seeing all the people that you get to see at that right. event every year. That's correct. Well, national enrollment in ag and related science majors with two-year institutions grew 41% since 2021. According to the estimates from the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center, they provide more opportunities now for students enrolled in these majors. Six U.S. senators last week introduced the Community College Ag Advancement Act. This bill would dedicate $20 million of farm bill funding to community college training education programs and research programs that would be ag-focused through their cutting-edge precision technologies or workforce development programs. They're looking to provide an optimal environment for students to become a vital part of the ag economy. If the bill were to pass, America's 1,100 community colleges would be eligible to apply for the funding as a grant through the USDA. The grant could be used to carry out educational and research activities, create and spread information about ag, purchase equipment, advance faculty professional development in those ag areas, and create apprenticeship programs. Programs in precision ag cybersecurity are just two areas that have recently been at the forefront of federal grant programs, but we need funding for all areas of agriculture. So it'll be neat to see this bill pass, or at least get this piece passed as part of the farm bill. So fun to watch ag get a little bit of the focus here for a little while, Delaney. Well, one thing that certainly has been a little bit of lack of focus in the news or lack of coverage has been some recent Midwest dairy producers and cooperatives here that have been forced to dump milk once again. We haven't really seen this be an issue since COVID-19 when we saw, of course, processing facilities shutting down and having to dump milk from farmers because of that. But up, much of the upper Midwest processing capacity right now is maxed out in terms of milk production and dairy producers are 
either having to find a new home or in some instances, dump milk. The photo and videos shared in the Farm Journal AgWeb article shows that actually producers are dumping milk or cooperatives are dumping milk tanner in fields. And so not sure that that's really gonna provide any moisture for those fields, but that has been one of the areas that they have used to get rid of some of this excess milk. The executive director of the Minnesota Milk shared that Hastings Creamery has actually decided to shut down for 30 days as they need to take their waste elsewhere and are way over capacity. He says that they're also working to divert milk from the same farmers as needed. And that story has been continuing to follow suit at other processing facilities. Thompson Family Dairy in Lewiston, Minnesota, as well as a few others have also had to figure out what to do with their milk or where to ship it. But um, Mitch Thompson, who owns Thompson Family Dairy in Lewistown, said that they're shipping about 70,000 pounds of milk each day, and they're worried that they don't have anywhere for that milk to go, Tanner. So certainly an issue that hasn't necessarily been covered a ton as of yet, but certainly an issue for our dairy producing friends up in the Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan areas. Yeah, that's certainly not uh, something that we are uh, excited to hear about or report on. But listeners, for a strong defense against LEPS, you need a game changer. Spear RC is Vestron's revolutionary insecticide for high value crops. Visit V-E-S-T-A-R-O-N.com today. Delaney, the Iowa Utilities Board should determine whether or not Summit Carbon Solutions will be granted a permit for its multi-state carbon dioxide pipeline by the end of the year. And the attorney for Summit Carbon Solutions is going to press Tuesday, or did press on Tuesday, that it needed to be completed by the end of the year for the project to stay on timeline. Iowa was the first state in which the application was filed, and Iowa will likely be the last state to issue its approval or its order, whichever direction it goes. Summit's pipeline proposal is one of three that is pending in the state of Iowa and is the furthest along in the permitting process. The project would span five states, including 680 miles in northern and western Iowa. The board has not set a final permit hearing for Summit yet, which will go on for weeks. The board's former chairperson said the hearing would be in late October and conclude in December at the earliest, although it was unclear whether the permit decision would be made that month as well. Governor Kim Reynolds uh, indicated in April that now former chairperson Jerry Huser, who had overseen Summit's permitting process since it began, would be replaced as uh, the head of a three-person board. Huser could have remained on the board until at least 2027 when her term was set to expire, but she resigned less than a week after that announcement. So we're still got a lot of items up in the air for pipeline progress in the state of Iowa. And we also still have a lot up in the air after the Kavoka Dam flooded in Ukraine. There are quite a few without power, quite a few folks still in need of rescue and a lot of humanitarian efforts going on right now. But the destruction of this dam will flood tens of thousands of hectares, according to the latest estimates of agricultural land 
in southern Ukraine, and they're estimating it could turn into at least 500,000 hectares of land left without irrigation into deserts, according to the Ukraine Agricultural Ministry. As of uh, yesterday, Kiev has estimated that about 42,000 people are at risk from flooding, and that's expected to peak here on Wednesday. But following the dam's collapse, it has left hundreds of thousands of people without access to normal drinking water, electricity, and quite frankly, a house in a lot of situations. So in total, Ukraine has about 33 million hectares of farmland. And so about 2% they're expecting could be under flooding threats. Yeah, and it's interesting to follow those headlines because there's still a lot of finger pointing about what caused the dam collapse. Uh, but as far as other world news, a Chinese destroyer was threatening NATO vessels off the Strait of Taiwan. The U.S.-Chinese relationship is going through some rocky conditions currently. The Chinese military conducted dangerous maneuvers against a U.S. Navy ship in the Strait of Taiwan. The incident took place uh, earlier this weekend as the USS Chung-Hoon was uh, sailing through the Strait with the HMCS Montreal on routine freedom of navigation exercises as the American and Canadian warships sailed through the strait, the Chinese warship intercepted them. The Chinese vessel, a guided missile destroyer crossed in front of them less than 150 yards, forced the ship to slow down to avoid a collision. The Chinese warship conducted a second pass in front of the American destroyer, although this time further out, still acknowledging that this was uh, an act of intimidation as well as one to send a warning. The other last piece of news I have for today is ethanol output has jumped now to its highest level in almost six months for the week that ended June 2nd. Production of the biofuel got to an average of 1.036 million barrels per day, up from 1.004 the week before. That's the highest level since December 9th. Ethanol inventories increased week to week to 22.948 million barrels. That is up from 22.332 million barrels and the highest level over the last three weeks. But I'm out of news for today, Delaney. I have just another quick headline here. We look at retail fertilizer prices. After one week of mostly higher levels reported last week here on the podcast, retail fertilizer prices are again, mostly lower according to the DTN fertilizer tracker. For the last week of May, six of the eight major fertilizer prices are lower in price compared to last month. Only two fertilizers were substantially less less expensive, anhydrous being one of those, 15% lower compared to the month prior at about $791 per ton on average, and nitrogen also trending lower here this month as well. So that certainly should paint a rosier outlook for fertilizer trends moving forward, Tanner. But we do have the WASDE report coming up tomorrow afternoon, and it's going to be interesting to see, does the USDA adjust anything as related to yield already in the season, noting hot and dry across many parts in the country, as well as will they do anything to adjust acres in South America. Those are the two big things we'll be watching for on that WASDE report tomorrow. But 
Heading into the opening session here, we're seeing weakness in the corn pits. July corn down four and a quarter cent to open here this morning at $6. The snow crop corn will open seven cents lower at 523 and three quarters. In the soybean pits, the July soybean contract today down a quarter of a cent at 1360 and a half. November will open down four and a quarter cent at 1174 and a half. Hard red winter wheat today in the July contract up five and a quarter cent at 793 and a quarter. As we take a quick look here at where livestock closed yesterday and we'll open here this morning. August live cattle down $2.30 at about 73.20. August feeder cattle down the limit will open this morning at 239.10. And August lean hogs down $1.40 will open here this morning at 83.10. Well, Delaney, before we jump into our interview today, we want to remind our listeners for a strong defense against LEPS, you need a game changer. Spear RC is Vestron's revolutionary insecticide for high value row crops. Visit VESTA. R-O-N.com today. Who do we get to talk to today, Delaney? Dinner today, we are talking with at Farmer Dan on Twitter, which some of you may follow, talking about some of the weather that they've been getting, the flooding they've been getting down there in his neck of the woods. So let's turn it over to that conversation. So we've talked about it, I think, for the last 30 or 60 days, everything from how dry conditions have been to now the massive amounts of rain that they're getting so we're running down to the northeastern panhandle of texas to talk to dan sell farmer dan 97 as some of you know from social media so welcome to the podcast dan thanks for having me on tanner i appreciate it yeah we're looking forward to uh, getting a little boots on the ground perspective but before we dive into the weather tell our listeners a little bit about uh, your farming operation well, uh, my dad and I farm some ground over here in the panhandle of Texas. We grow uh, winter wheat, and, or at least we try to, <laughs> and uh, sorghum. Uh, and that's really about it. We've been trying to do it for uh, five generations now, and it just, there's never a break, but it is what it is. And y'all might hear the sixth generation uh, making some ruckus in the background. So I, I apologize for that. Uh, but yeah, that's a little bit about uh, myself and what we do on the farm. So as we've been reporting, uh, you've kind of had a change of weather events. So up until the last couple of weeks, what's the weather been like in your area? Well, we've been in a drought for pretty much three years now, uh, since 2019, I believe. And it really it really hit us hard this, uh, this winter. Uh, there's not a whole lot of wheat left uh, from the hot winter we had. We had a lot of wind. It just, you know, it sheared off a lot of wheat uh, to that deal. And then just uh, in the beginning of May, things kind of turned and, and we've been getting quite a bit of rain. And I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure we've gotten more rain these past five weeks than we did all of last year. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of cool. But typically our average rainfall is about 20 inches here in the panhandle. And uh, last year we got, I think, 11 and most of it came at one time. So, you know how that goes. But overall uh we've been we've been pretty blessed to have slow rains not anything flood uh really to to the dramatic effect like it has down south for those poor fellas uh but i mean at this point honestly i'm concerned we may not even get our get our uh milo crop in i know we will but it's just one of those things um i'm a little concerned about and uh we'll just you know 
depend on the Lord to either let it dry out a little bit and then keep letting it rain or, you know, it's, it's up to him. We may just, may just have got all our rain this past five weeks and that might be it, but that's how it goes. I guess sometimes. Dan, you mentioned that you guys have been having a few years of drier conditions and then all of a sudden this year got all this rain, which is great to hear. But as you look at subsoil moisture, uh, we're hearing mixed reports from folks about how much subsoil moisture there really is. What are you guys seeing in your neck of the woods? You know, I've been meaning to take a probe out and, uh, and check around on some soil. I haven't had the opportunity yet. Uh, like I mentioned, we've been getting a lot of soft and slow rains here in the past five weeks. And that's really, that's really helped it just soak in rather than run off like you would see with a big rain uh, that comes down quick. So I'm hoping that we've got a few foot of profile. I think typically we're looking for four to six foot of uh, or feet of uh, profile. And I don't think we're there yet, but we're getting, we're getting close. And if, if we can get that, then we can probably, we, we can probably grow a crop off of that. So as we sit having this interview, you mentioned there might be a little concern about getting this year's crop planted. How down to the wire are we? Is there still time left for that sorghum crop or yes. are you pushing the limits? So I think our cutoff date is typically the last day of June, which is a far ways away, but you got to know that our ground is absolutely saturated. And so I'm, you know, as if, as, as any other farmer, we're just ready to complain, you know, it's too dry or too wet, you know, instead <laughs> of being thankful. But uh, really the concern is just to control the weeds. Cause really we haven't had to uh, put anything down uh, to keep back the weeds. And so now all, all of a sudden fields are covered with them. And so what we're going to have to do is get in there with a sprayer quickly uh, and, and, and hopefully be able to follow it with a planter. And so we just got to wait till that ground will hold up uh, the machinery and then go from there. But I think for the next 14 days, maybe 10 days, we're uh, looking at a drier spell for a little bit. And then I think it's going to get wet again. And then, you know, like we've uh, like anything else, the wheat crop that we do have uh, is uh, is OK. But now we're seeing kosher and pigweed and whatever else you can imagine and uh, it's not going to be long before that overtakes the wheat because the wheat crop's just so short from having no moisture. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> you take the good and the bad, I guess. I mean, I'll be happy to have a bumper milo crop if we can uh, get it in the ground. But I think we've got another two or three weeks to really get things in. But it is just, you know, one of those concerns that you have after getting so much rain uh, in the past couple of weeks. And Dan, I got to be honest with you. I'm not as familiar with the Milo planting cycle, but I know with corn and soybeans, you can really get in there and mud things in if you have to last minute. Are you able to do that with Milo as well? Yeah, you can. We don't like to because it, you know, it doesn't, our soil is pretty different compared to what uh, those, those wonderful guys up north have. Uh, it, uh, it takes a beating when you go in there when it's wet. And so you're, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. Uh, when you do that, you need a little bit drier uh, profile to get in there and, and not mess things up. But I mean, and when it comes down to the wire, I mean, sure, we'll we'll go in there and, and rut it up. But it's not what we really like to do uh, with with a Milo crop for sure. Early on in our conversation, you'd also mentioned that you're fortunate to have rain that came a little bit slower than maybe some of your neighbors. And I'm using that terminology loosely because of the mm -hmm. size of Texas. <laughs> 
can you tell us a little bit about what's been going on in the area that you were discussing there? Uh, those poor guys. Uh, I'm sure if anyone has seen or keeps up on Twitter, they've seen videos of a of a feedlot. And I mean, the whole thing is just flooded. I, I don't know how much rain they got for sure, but I feel like seven or eight inches in like a couple of hours is what, what the scuttlebutt is around there. And that just, I mean, there's no way for the soil to take that much moisture in at that time. It's just going to run off. And I've heard reports of cattle being dead and all that, but it's not, you know, it's not anything to be proud of. It's just, it's sad is what it is. And I'm hoping that they'll be able to recover. Uh, I don't think the cattle market will, will really, um, and I'm saying this as a farmer, I don't know much, but I would hope that the cattle market doesn't take much of a hit, even at, at those numbers of cattle being dead, because in the, in the grand scheme of things, that's not a big number. But to those who lost them, that's a huge number. And so, you know, we're praying for those guys, hope that uh, everything comes out all right. But gosh, when you pray for rain, <laughs> it's really up to the Lord whether or not he wants to deliver or not. And uh, I feel like we've we've been OK right now with with the moisture we've had. But uh, those guys down south, man, they 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 took it on the chin. And I'm, I hope that they're they're going to be able to recover and, and be OK. So, Dan, as we look at heading into wheat harvest, we just reported on some fresh numbers yesterday from the USDA's Crop Progress Report. How are things looking for you guys and when are you going to get started with harvest? Uh, it's going to probably be late June, if not July. Um, the, the wheat crop is not fair. I mean, it, it's really not going to be a good time. I would imagine we're looking at uh, average 10 to 20 bushels an acre, if that, uh, for most acreage around here. Uh, I am concerned that the wheat, the wheat is going to, well, I'm concerned about the weeds and the wheat crop. Uh, the wheat, the wheat crop is uh, pretty, pretty sparse. It's thin. And so that allows a lot of room for sunlight to get in and, and let those uh, weeds germinate. And so what we'll really be working with is, uh, is just slow going because of all the weeds that are going to be in the wheat crop. <laughs> it's kind of a tongue tire there, but uh, I, I'd imagine we'll probably kick it off in late June, if not July, and it'll, it'll take a while, but uh, I mean, shoot, I mean, we got to get it in. So as you go about doing that, is it the common practice then to come back and sow wheat again right behind after the harvest, or is that what's left for the winter for you to plant sorghum into next year? That's that's exactly it. We'll uh, we'll can follow that wheat stubble till next year, and then plant uh, milo in, or sorghum into it the the next year, and and we do a rotation of. Uh, of thirds on, on a section, uh, one third currently is wheat crop. One third currently will be a milo crop and one third is, is summer fallow for the wheat crop, uh, this fall. It's pretty confusing if, if you're used to just having crops continuous or continuous crops, but, um, I mean, you just cannot wear out the soil, uh, down here like you can up there. Cause we just don't have the moisture for it. Well, Dan, I think, a lot of our listeners may know you on Twitter as at FarmerDan97, and you do a great job of sharing what's going on in your neck of the woods. So listeners, if you're interested in following along with Dan and his story on the farm, follow him on Twitter at FarmerDan97. But Dan, appreciate your time today, and hopefully you guys are able to get Milo in and have a better rest of your season here. <laughs> we sure hope so. Thank you. 
it's always fun to catch up with Dan. I've enjoyed getting to know him and uh, he's a good follow. If you're out and about on social media, we hope that our friends in Texas and Oklahoma are uh, getting through the conditions that they're in. And if you have updates for us, don't be afraid to send those in. Otherwise, for today, what do you say, Delaney? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. 